everybody, this is Adam Roddy with Millennial Manhood. Just want to welcome you to another episode. I'm happy to be hosting one of these episodes again. Today I actually have a, a very special guest, one you guys probably haven't heard about, but I think you'll find he's pretty interesting. Uh, his name is Yavitsa Jurchevich. Yavitsa, would you care to introduce yourself? Hey everyone, I'm uh, Yavitsa. I'm the, I guess, creator and main host of Millennial Manhood, <laughs> and I somehow got duped into doing an episode on myself. So here we yeah. are. Yeah, Yavis and I had been uh, we'd been chatting a little bit about this, and we thought it would be kind of a cool idea to have me interview him on an episode, um, just to really get his thoughts on on why he did this and his own story. I mean, heck, he's been hosting so many episodes now. I mean, I'm sure people that are listening may may want to know a little bit more about him. I mean, I know I don't, but I think most people <laughs> might uh, might be wondering a little bit more about what made him decide to do this, and a little bit more about what makes him tick. Um, but other than that, like I said, you know, we're, we're just keeping this podcast going and it, it's been something that we, we've, we've both been really enjoying. And, um, I know it's, it's really just because of all the listeners out there. Um, so w- I guess without further ado, we can kind of get right into this. Uh, I guess really the, the first question I have you is when did you find out about the genital warts? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't actually expect that question. Wow. All right. See, that's what happens when you're interviewing an interviewer. You have, yeah. you have to keep them. You have to keep them off guard, and you have to throw them questions they're not prepared for. It's how you get them honest, and then you know, without the fluff. Okay. Um, but but I guess we'll skip that. We'll go back to that question at a later time when you've had more time to process and <laughs> yeah. think about it. Um, but I, I guess just to start things off, uh, I would love it if you could tell the listeners just a little bit more about your own personal story about how you got to where you are now. Um, I guess just the, uh, you know, 30,000 foot look and, and, st- and window into the, the life and times of, of the opposite Jerchevich. All right. Well, you know, my story begins in what was the former Yugoslavia. So I was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore. Unfortunately, I, um, I was born in what is modern day Bosnia to an ethnically Bosnian Serb family. And uh, unfortunately, anybody who's aware of what happened in Yugoslavia during the nineties, you know, it broke, broke up into several different countries and, and unfortunately through very, very bloody and um, devastating civil wars. So my, um, I guess I was two or three years old and my dad, decided a couple of different things that happened and I can elaborate on that a little bit later, but he, he was very adamant about not participating in the war. He did not believe in it. He did not believe in the fall of Yugoslavia. He believed in Yugoslavia not in, you know, these ethnic divisions and, you know, killing your neighbor and all these other things. So, uh, actually we were, I believe in my, uh, godfather's family's house in a mortar shell lands in the yard while I'm out there. And this little five-year-old boy, grabs me and throws me as it's falling, throws me under a tractor and he, he, you know, jumps on top of me and nobody was hurt. Everything was okay. But that was the final straw for my dad. So my dad, the next day actually puts, um, obviously I don't have any recollection of this because I was a child, but he puts myself and my mom on a, on a refugee bus to Serbia. And we go to, and we go and we're refugees in Serbia and that actually allowed for him to get, um, a visitation visa of sorts to, because he was a, you know, 32, 33 year old male, perfect fighting age. And he was basically using his connections to stay out of the military. Um, because he didn't want to fight. He was trying to figure out a way how to get out, but you just couldn't get out. But no, was there much of a draft at that time going on where people being conscripted into service? The draft was the secret police shows up at your door and takes you. So (laughs) my dad's connections would tip him off. He would run into the woods. Yeah. 
they would show up at our house and my mom would say, I don't know who you're talking about. I haven't seen him in days. Yeah. So that's, uh-huh. that's how they would dodge things. And he had friends that he would, you know, help pay, pay off certain people because he wanted to get out. And, but with us being in a, in a refugee camp in Serbia, that allowed for him to have a, um, like a visiting visa. So he came and visited us once, went back, got a second one, uh, came and visited us a second time. He sneaks out of the country. He hitchhikes with on an 18 wheeler to Germany and, and gets to uh, Ingolstadt or Munich, Germany. And he calls his aunt who was living in Germany and says, Hey, I'm here. And she was like, what the hell do you mean you're here? And he's like, I'm, I'm here. I need you to come yeah. pick me up. <laughs> I got dropped off at this bus station by a trucker. Yeah. And uh, she comes and picks him up. He actually starts working construction the next day to save enough money to get us out. And, and I think it was three months we got out and we lived in Germany and that's actually where, you know, I grew up, went to kindergarten through fourth grade, um, you know, lived a really wonderful life. And so, I mean, we, we lived off of the charity of a lot of people in a lot of instances. We lived in people's basements. We, I mean, we ended up eventually getting an apartment because nobody wanted to give you an apartment because you were refugees. So it's not like they could rely on you being here in three months because the government might, might kick you out. Yeah. So through basically like a co-signer of my dad's boss, who was a German guy in our town, um, we finally got an apartment and, um, I think it was in 1999 that my mom told me, he was like, you're ready to go to America. And I was like, what are you talking about? And my dad just kind of looked at her and you could tell he was pissed because he was like, you're not supposed to say this yet. But they let me know, they showed me the letter that we were going to the United States and I cried like a baby. I was so upset. Um, but what happened was basically the war in Bosnia had ended and the German government was basically deporting everybody. And my parents had managed to stay as long as possible because they weren't on welfare. They weren't, you know, they were working, they were paying taxes, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, my dad basically said, as long as we're applying to places, he knew the law, they couldn't kick us out. Yeah. Okay. So we applied to every freaking way. I mean, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, yeah, everywhere. And we went to all these interviews and the objective of every interview, I didn't know this at the time as a kid, but the objective of every interview was to fail. Okay. Okay. Because then you'd have to go to that place. Yeah. We passed every single one. <laughs> so, so great. Well, I mean, when you think about it, young family with kids, educated, healthy. I mean, my dad yeah. was very educated, healthy. You're a prime candidate for mm-hmm. for uh, for an immigrant. Yeah. And uh, my dad, eventually, once we passed every single one, my dad said, well, I guess if we've got to go somewhere, I might as well go to the top because if I fail there, I won't fall as far. Yeah. So he, my mom and dad picked the United States. and. Um, March 16th, 2000, we came to the United States. We, we landed in Memphis. We were placed there and, you know, I lived there until I was 18, went off to college to the university of Tennessee, um, spent four years in college there, spent another two and a half, almost three years, uh, after college building my practice after a short stint in banking, um, and then moved to Nashville, lived in Nashville, fell in love with a girl, got married. Um, and live there there now with my little family. So that's that's a ten thousand foot Yavitsa one on one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, believe it or not, that story is not very common. <laughs> yeah, people um, from refugees to moving to an entirely another country to getting kicked out of said country to going to Memphis, um, and then everything else in between. I, this is probably I don't know how easy of a question this will be to answer, but looking back at, at all of those experiences. What would you what would you pull out of that as one of the most formative 
lessons you learned or, or something that was really drilled into you or a mentality you had or something looking back after all of those mm. just unorthodox in, and sometimes incredible. I mean, name one other person you know that had a mortar shell land in their yard. Unfortunately, I can name quite a few. Well, I was thinking – I was more of a question to myself, I guess yeah, I should say. Yeah, I did yeah. not grow up in a war-torn uh, country, but after all that, obviously, it shaped you. It shaped a big mm-hmm. part of who you are and, and your parents as well and how they raised you. Um, what are your thoughts about that? What did you pull from that? How do you think that shaped you? Hmm. I mean, that's a very loaded question. It, it shaped me. Absolutely. In a lot of ways. Um, hmm. I would say probably the most definitive one is it's when we were so when we came to America we were living basically in the hood, um, as you might imagine a government program placing refugees. Not only are you foreigners, okay, yeah. so let's contextualize this: you're not only foreigners, not only are you immigrants, you're the lowest type of immigrant. You're a yeah. refugee. Everybody hates you. Yeah. I mean, think about the the context of our society today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, to my parents, it's like, I didn't ask to be, I don't want to be here. My parents never wanted to leave Yugoslavia. They yeah. were forced to leave and they said, okay, we're going to make the best out of this and we're going to love wherever we are and we're going to be good citizens and we're going to fight for our right to raise our family in peace. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when we came to America, my dad was very happy. He was so happy to be in a place where uh, he always, my dad always says, here's a Milanism. In America, if you have just 10% intelligence and 90% hard work ethic, you can succeed. Yeah. And I was probably 11 and, you know, my dad sat me down and he looked at me and said, look, son, I've given up everything for you and your sister and your mother. And yet, well, actually my, your mother and I've given up everything for you and your sister. We brought you here. We did our job. Nobody cares about us. I'm 40 something years old. I'm not, I'm not going to become a millionaire here. Okay, I'm going to work. I'm going to give you everything you could possibly ever want. I will support you until the day I die. I've done my job for you. What you do will decide the next 10 generations of our family in this country. Mm. Okay, so I need you to decide. Now, are you going to pick school? Are you going to pick the streets? Because we were living in a neighborhood where they were selling drugs, where there were shootings, where there were all kinds of things. It's just... You pick school, I will die before I let you fail. You pick the streets, I will never stop loving you, but you do not have my support. Mm. At a very early age, I picked school and I picked, um, you know, I always had to create a bigger vision for our family. That's been ingrained in me, that thought of the next 10 10 generations of my family would be dictated by what I do. Yeah. If I am successful, if I make it happen, it'll be easier for my posterity to be successful and to rebuild what we once had on the other side of the world. If I go another route, that's going to be detrimental for generations. Yeah. But that's probably the most, you know, there's a million other things that I could go down, but that was easily one of the most impactful things my dad ever said to me. I was about to say that's, that's powerful. I'd say it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of pressure, I imagine too. I mean, I mean, it's, it's not like it's a bad pressure. It's not like he's unduly pressuring you, but and, you know, it definitely feels a, a weight of a responsibility for that. I definitely had to grow up sooner than everybody else around me. I learned English quicker than anybody in my family. So I was translating legal documents for my parents. I was there at the closing for their house, helping them translate those things, mm-hmm. opening up bank accounts. And I was 11, 12 years old. I would call if we had an issue with the electrical co- company, I was the one calling them. Yeah. Okay. And I had to figure out a solution and translate a solution. Yeah. Um, so it just always, that's, I guess you can call it a chip on your shoulder. I guess you can call it whatever, but 
you know, dad made it very clear. It's like, look, I don't have anything to give you here. Okay. You don't have a grandfather, a great grandfather who built a business that we can pass on. You're going to have to work twice as hard to get half as far. And that's okay. Sack up and do it. Hmm. It was like, all right. So that's always been the attitude in my household. Uh, Complaining wasn't really allowed from that standpoint. Um, Not that my parents were not compassionate. They're incredibly, and you know them, they're incredibly loving and compassionate people. But um, yeah, that, that experience definitely shaped a thought process of I've got to think bigger from an early age. Okay. Um, Maybe I already know the answer to this question, but would you say your father has been the biggest single influence on your life? Oh, no doubt. Yeah. It's not even close. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we do have a whole segment on the show called melodisms. Yeah. I think if you'd said someone else, I'd be a little bit shocked. And I think most listeners would maybe be as well. There are definitely people who have, uh, tagged along for the ride as I've gotten older and as I've met and uh, who've had a great impact on me. Um, Some of them I'm going to have on this podcast at some point who have really interesting stories who are quite successful, wealthy, you know, all kinds of things, but just from an early, early age, I mean, my dad would go, he would work six days a week, sometimes seven, but mostly six from, I'm talking about like five in the morning until like seven or eight at night. Yeah. There is not a Sunday that I remember where he didn't carve out an entire section of the day just for him and I. Really? As a kid. Um, disciplinarian, strong figure, incredibly loving, incredibly compassionate, doesn't put up with bullcrap from anybody. Yeah. Man. Yeah. So um, and just a very proud man in, um, in his understanding of what his family is and what um, – what he saw as his, you know, future. And he told a lot of his friends when the war was starting, like, you guys are idiots. We all need to leave. And they called him an idiot. And I remember throughout the years when we've gone back, he's seen some of those friends. And I remember the stories that he would tell me and and they would tell him in front of me, you were right. We were wrong. Really? So he was, he had a vision. He was a, he was a trailblazer in a lot of ways. He, um, they had this um, like town meeting before the wars were breaking out. Cause these, these villages in Bosnia, they're broken down by ethnic groups um, that have lived there forever, literally for literally ever. And my dad spoke up in this town meeting and I, and he said, I've got cattle that is smarter than you idiots. <laughs> you're, you're going to get us all killed. Yeah. Just by playing into the. Yeah. Just, the, just ethnic. by being manipulated, by yeah. being, played into the politics and the, and the rhetoric. And he was like, he, he said, you know, are you guys really this stupid? Yeah. Are you really falling for something this idiotic? You've got, you've literally lived next to these people your entire life. And now you want to fight. Really? That's what you want to do. Okay. I'm not. So that was, yeah. So, and that's the attitude. That's another thing. My dad has had a great impact on me for is, you know, in high school, um, I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't, I mean, I was po- relatively popular. I was hung out with the cool kids. I was at parties. I was had a great social life, but um, peer pressure never worked on me because I borrowed my dad's confidence from a very early age. Yeah. When somebody wanted to peer pressure me into something, my immediate response in my head was, I'm Milan's son. Who are you? Yeah. I need you to explain to me why I need to take your opinion seriously. And that really carried me through some tough years of adolescence and uh, in the business world to this day. I've, I've borrowed now, obviously I've developed my own confidence as a man coming into my own, but 
uh, it got it kept me out of trouble knowing that I had such a strong figure having my back growing yeah. up. I mean, and I think, uh, I mean, I think you see that turning across the country. I mean, you, the statistics, the statistics on, on families that, that are single parent homes when a, when a father leaves or, um, the, the chance of that child be, you know, growing up and, and being successful or not having severe financial troubles or living in poverty, um, they go way up in, in a fatherless home. And I think a strong male figure with a, you know, strong mother or something like that. I mean, I think it's just a huge, huge part of growing up. And it's obviously the case with you. Um, kind of uh, going a little bit more to the present, though. Why this podcast? What went into your mindset when when you were when you're thinking about doing this or whenever the thought first occurred? Because I know you and I listen to podcasts for years. We, yeah. we love podcasts. It's, you know, Monday morning commute. Guess what I'm doing on the way to work? I'm, I'm listening to a podcast or any kind of road trip. But when did you kind of cross that mental threshold into saying, I want to do one and not just that I want to do one. This is the topic I want to do about. I want to do it about men of my generation. Hmm. So it was about a two year process. So I kept, I have a lot of conversations with people in general and I'm very passionate about a lot of different topics and I'm not really one to hold back my opinion. Um, especially with guys, my age and, I like to force people to think. Okay. So I don't want you to come to a conclusion just by giving me a stock answer. I'm going to ask you the same question three or four times in a conversation until I get the real answer. I force you to think through it. And that actually resonated with quite a few people in my personal life. And and for about two years, people just different people were like, you need to do a podcast. Like I don't, I don't want to do a podcast. I work like a slave. I own my own business. I've got staff. I've got all these different things. I don't want to do a podcast. And it was actually my father-in-law who, you want to talk about great fathers and great men. Yeah. That guy is like a Superman. Um, yeah. And and that's something I've appreciated about my wife and her family. Is like that's one of the things I looked for when I was looking for a spouse. You know what was that family dynamic like? And I saw how that. Dynamic work. So I always appreciate and respected what he had to say. And he told me, I don't remember, it was probably November or December of last year. I mentioned something and he said, You need to do a podcast. And I said, I know, but I gave a million excuses on why. And he said, No, you just need to shut up and do it, basically. He said, Figure out how. I said, I don't even know how to do it. And he said, Figure out how to do it. And then don't delay, just do. It's like, Fine, whatever. Like I'll, I'll figure it out. So I got on my computer and I Googled, how do you start a podcast? Because I have no idea how to start <laughs> how a podcast. our generation answers all our questions. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, okay, what, what am I going to look at? <laughs> so the topic of millennial manhood, well, confidence, initiative, persistence is something that uh, CIP has been my motto since you know sophomore year of college. That was one of the first things you ever said to me when I met you. Yeah, CIP. Like, CIP, and I, and I said, okay, what does that stand for? And you wouldn't tell me for like a year. Yeah. It was like a secret code. Yeah, you have to learn. But CIP is is my mantra. You got to be confident in yourself. You've got to take initiative, and then you've got to be persistent in every aspect of life. You've got to be pers- persistent. You've got to build those quality habits and those quality, um, just uh, qualities about yourself. But so millennial manhood, I feel like our generation in general is, is fairly demonized in media and culture and if you're a guy, and we talked about this in our trailer episode, if you're a guy and you're not some alt-right, you know, men going their own way extremist or some complete, 
you know, pansy, basically, who yeah. falls into the trap of this uh, identity politics feminization of all masculinity is toxic, yeah. which 99.9% of people don't fall into each one, either one of those camps. Oh, yeah. They're somewhere in the middle. Yeah, but if you're if you're just casually perusing the the interwebs, you're gonna feel like that's what everybody's thinking. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's it's like guys who like to do manly stuff are just lumped into one of those two categories, and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa. Most yeah. people are just regular human beings trying to figure out life, yeah. and life is freaking hard. Okay, so and it's really hard without being demonized twenty four seven and told you suck. Yeah. So I wanted to create. A an, an area, an environment where men, for lack of a better term, a safe space, whatever you want to call it, where men- <laughs> Where my feelings can't be hurt. Well, not your I'm, feelings I'm can't be hurt, but you can actually express your thoughts without yeah. being demonized for it. And and the the whole point of the podcast has always been to help young men get better, okay? To help young men figure out the things that we are struggling with. And that's why the third episode, I had a woman on. Yeah. And people ask me, like, that, doesn't that defeat the purpose of millennial manhood? No, not having a woman on would defeat the purpose of millennial manhood. If she has something to offer that we can learn from as a generation, as a gender, as a whatever, then why would you try to silence that? Okay. So that's what I'm tired of. The identity politics crap of somebody is different or somebody has a different opinion, so they need to be silenced. No, freedom of speech is not protection from you getting offended. That's not what freedom of speech is. Freedom of speech is the right to, for you to express what you think. Now, I may disagree with you, but I wanted to create a space where we could say, hey, let's talk. And I, and I don't agree with every single thing everybody says on my podcast. I, I don't do that. But I want people to have an avenue to talk. People asked me, there was a couple episodes ago where I had to put an explicit you know, content warning in there. And there was a lot of cussing in it. And people ask me, well, why did you, why did you allow for the cussing? Why didn't you edit it out? And I said, because that's a slippery slope. If I allow for myself to edit him because he's cursing, what else am I going to allow for myself to edit in the future? Because I don't like it. And who are you to determine what's appropriate and what's not? I mean, anytime you Anytime you view any sort of clip or documentary these days or sh- video on YouTube, you have no idea what they've cut out and what they've put in. Um, there's, I mean, I think we've talked about it before. We've watched interviews where they splice together a question and then someone's answer from a separate question within the middle. You don't know what you're watching. So, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, I think if editing is, you know, editing's always done in, yeah. in everything. You, you can't not edit these days. Your, your, your video or audio is going to sound like crap. Yeah. Um, but there's so many people who they just start chopping away and you don't know what you have by the end. And it, it's dishonest, really. Well, and I want people to feel like they can come on the podcast and they're not going to be, um, they're not going to be manipulated. Yeah. Say what's on, say what's on your mind and let's have a conversation. Let's have an honest dialogue. Again, we may not, dis- we may not agree but let's have an honest dialogue. And I think that's missing. And look, this podcast has exceeded every expectation I ever had for it. Okay. So the first person I had on the podcast was James Gilreath, who was in my wedding party. The second person I had on this podcast was you, who was in my wedding party. I mean, closest friends of mine, because I knew you wouldn't ask me if anybody would ever listen to it. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that's why. Technically, I was the first one since I was in the introduction episode. I just want that put out there for the record. Um, I was the first. Yeah. Thank you. But I didn't know if anybody would listen to it. And 
lo and behold, I get emails and DMs on Instagram and on Facebook. And it blows my mind how excited people are for this medium to exist. And it's kind of scary to me because I don't, you know, I work. I don't just hang out all day. So the thought of, you know, having this promise I've made to people that I want to uphold, it scares me because it's a constant, it's a constant competition for my time, scheduling people, preparing for the meeting. Oh, this person has a book. I got to read the book. I got to find questions out of the book, highlight sections. Then I got to talk to him on the phone before we have the interview, get to know him a little bit, then have the interview. Then I spend two, three hours editing, you know, making it sound good as much as possible. And it's like, holy crap, how much time is this going to take? But then you get these messages and you're like, wow, I, I need to put more effort into this because this is genuinely impacting people. Yeah. And it's been awesome. So that's a really roundabout way to answer your question. Sorry. <laughs> I don't even remember what the question was. Why uh, this podcast and why this topic? Oh, that was like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> uh, it, it's, we're, we're well past that now. Um, so where do you see this podcast going? What's your five-year plan? Where do you see <laughs> yeah, yourself five in five year, years? Five-year vision. Um, I want this podcast to solely have an impact in a positive direction. I want, I truly wanted to reach his mission of cultivating a conversation. I want to disrupt the paradigm that we're in right now. Okay. I want to step in and let everybody know you're being lied to. You're being manipulated. Your Facebook algorithms are lying to you. Your Twitter feed is lying to you. Put down your damn phone and go talk to somebody. That's what I want the podcast to do. I want the podcast to allow for a place where we can have honest human to human discussion. I mean, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly, which is you know why I'm on this podcast regularly. Um, I mean, we had a conversation not too long ago. I mean, my own brother, he a while back got off of Facebook and I asked him why. I mean, I'm not a big Facebook at all. I have one. Yeah. I'm rarely on it. Um, and he said, I realized that I was getting so much of my news via headlines that were just getting posted on Facebook that I didn't have the time to go in and read every single article, but I'd read a head, uh, headline and you know your gut reaction to say, oh, I guess that's true or I guess that happened. Yep. Um, and it's exactly what you're saying. It's so many people are being manipulated with clickbait and fault, fake news. I'm doing finger quotes right now. Yeah. Um, and so many different things. It's just one big manipulation that you will never get if you listen to an entire conversation between two people. You can't misjudge an entire 30, 40 minute conversation. The only thing you can do is take it as is. Yeah. Um, it's the most purest form of media when you do that. And yeah. that's, that's really what I've gotten into in the last few years as well is, is this podcast and then YouTube debates then where I can watch a full length debate or discussion or lecture. Um, and I agree. I think, I think that's what a lot of people are missing out on. Um, so, so in five years, you know, you, that's what your vision is. How, how are you looking to, when I say grow the podcast, I don't necessarily mean just grow the user base. How are you looking to grow it just as a media platform at that time? What do you want to see changed or enhanced? Is it different types of people? Is it different formats? Because um, obviously in five years, so much can change about anything. Yeah, Who knows what could happen? I imagine this podcast, the the overall mission and message will, will be very close to the same exact thing, but who knows, who knows how it could grow and, and develop. Have you had any thoughts on that? You know, I'm always seeking new people to talk to, yeah. and that's actually the hardest part 
Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. So I'm basically using my just business knowledge of building a practice over the last seven years, literally out of nothing. So I said, okay, whatever. Building a building a podcast is probably easier than building a financial services practice. If I had to guess. That's All fair. I have to do is put out one episode a week. That ain't yeah. rocket science. Uh, man, oh, man, is it hard as hell, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> mainly because – all right. So let's say I, I find an author or somebody and I cold call them and I have to call them like seven times. Be like, hey, look, you don't know me, but you know, you're a human. I'm a human on that basis. Let's talk. Yeah, <laughs> they either laugh or they're like, well, who the hell is calling me? So <laughs> I have to sell them on the podcast. Yeah. And actually, because of the mission of the podcast, it's not been that hard to sell. Yeah. Um, the hardest part is scheduling people, working out schedules. I mean, I've got people scheduled for like 2019, but that's the earliest we could like coordinate something. <laughs> so that's fine. But I think the thing that I want to change is I want to, I want the podcast to grow and, and basically, um, have almost like podcast offspring, if that makes sense. Almost yeah. like a network yeah. where, you know, maybe we focus on fashion in one, or maybe we focus on business in another or, or whatever it may be. And, and I don't necessarily want to be hands-on on all of those. I'm yeah. a big believer in delegating. Okay. If I ain't got to do it, I'm not going to. I was going to say that the more that grows, I think it gets to be a point where it reaches critical mass where you are physically incapable of <laughs> yeah. running so many different podcasts. Yeah. But just the, Again, it, just a movement, the, 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 you know, the millennial manhood movement or whatever the hell you want to call it. It sounds so stupid, but I just want, I see so many of my friends, so many, so many guys that I talk to who are lost, who are, who don't have a purpose. They don't have a vision for their life. They, you know, got out of college and it wasn't what they expected. And, you know, they're medicated and, and, and they don't feel like anybody's listening to them. And some of them have reached out to me and thanked me for the podcast, which is yeah. really cool. Um, I want them to have a place where they think they can go find help to, to where it can encourage them to actually go find help. So you, even if we create a non-for-profit in some capacity that helps even avoid, uh, you know, even things like such as, um, you know, young men out of the military are committing suicide at alarming rates. Yeah. Young men in young men in general are at a higher uh, rate of suicide. Or and the uh, opiate crisis affects men more, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many different things. If, if there was a way, and there is a way, it's just you need to reach critical mass, and you need to have the resources behind it to to really impact um, financially. Um, and that is way bigger than this podcast, but it's just yeah. part of that vision of trying to help people. Um, and, th and that's what I tell every single person when I interview them, like the goal of this, share your story, share your insights. But at the end of the day, it's to help people. That's what this is about. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it, it did. And I, I know from my own experience, you know, from what people have told me, um, I know there's a lot of people who may listen to this podcast and they think, you know, at least to some extent, you know, you got your life together. You have a wife that you love. Um, you have your own practice that's that's been growing and been successful. You're starting a podcast that seems to be doing well. Um, for a lot of those lost men out there, um, what would you say directly to them? Hmm. You kind of hinted on, on it a little bit from a second ago, um, but if they're, you know, what would you say? I mean, not not turn around tomorrow and start your own podcast. It's yeah. going to solve all your problems. Yeah. But well, one, I would say my life is not completely in order. Of course. Yeah. And man, oh man, it's, um, you know, to, to those guys, I would say, and, and Drew Davis said this in his podcast when he was talking about his relationship with his dad, it gets better. No matter yeah. what 
valley you're going through, it gets better. And I'll, I'll even say this. So, I'll, you know, my wife, I've, and you know her really well. Yeah. But when I met my wife and I compare myself to now, she has easily restored my faith in the kindness of humanity. Without a doubt, she is quite literally the nicest, kindest human being I know. I mean, she literally packs goodie bags for the people who work at the airport when we fly out to Europe or something. And she lives little, gives little thank you baggies to the person who checks us in. We got freaking upgraded to like better seats because the person's like, thank you. You know, there you go. Thank you for flying United. And it's like, yeah. what the crap? Who does this? But instead of packing the night before, she's building like little goodie bags. I'm going to do that every time. Although I think if I did it, they'd think it was creepy. I, I, I can't tell you what, but I, I've seen it with my own eyes it's and it works. It's a stranger works. danger and they'd throw my goodie bag away. Yeah, but she doesn't do it to get stuff out of it. She literally just does it she's because, kind. yeah, she's just kind and she's, good Lord, she's patient because, man, oh, man, can I be an asshole? Um, and and I love her very dearly and she's just helped me see things in a in a different way. Um, now, I'm not telling people who are lost, go find, go find somebody because that's a whole different. Yeah, don't but, find yourself worth in another person. Yeah, don't do that. Um, but I, I am saying it, it gets better. It, you know, you can, it could be a friend. It could be a parent. It could be a mentor. It could be, uh, you know, my mentor, who's a, who's a very, very successful individual. Uh, I literally walked up to him in church like five years ago. And I said, hey, you are so-and-so. I want to meet you. I'm moving to Nashville. Give me your number. We're going to lunch. And he looked at me and said, I like your attitude. And this guy whose time is incredibly valuable has been getting lunch with me over and over again for years. He's been a great resource, a great friend, a great person yeah. to look up to. You, that's, the, that's the initiative part. You've yeah. got to take the initiative. And as much as I would like to tell folks who are lost, they're like, hey, it'll just get better on its own. You do have to take that first step. And it's scary. Find somebody, somebody in your life will be willing to be that accountability buddy for you. I promise you there's somebody out there. In whatever capacity that may be. And it doesn't even have to be somebody you know right now. I mean, I know one thing that I've learned through through business lately and, and just talking with you, just don't underestimate the random LinkedIn message to somebody that is a professional that you just want to grab coffee with. Yeah. Um, you might have to, yeah, I might have to message 10 people before one response, but somebody is going to say, whoever this guy is, I'll grab lunch with him. And they'll probably pay if they're an established professional. Oh, yeah. But regardless, I mean, it's never underestimate the amount of people that you have access to to reach out to, whether it's for help, whether it's for mentorship, which I think is huge. I think way too many men our age don't seek mentors. We think we all got it on our own. We're going to do it on our own. We, we don't need that help. We don't need that advice. Um, well, and I think a lot of guys get stuck in the trap of, you know, my life isn't what I thought it would be, which that's such a ridiculous concept anyway, because comparison is a thief of joy. So, you know, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Yeah. That's what you've got to do. And yeah, seeking out mentors helps because that helps them, helps you be grounded. Yeah. And they're going to tell you, hey, when I was your age, I didn't, I didn't have it all together either. 
I had no uh, clue what I normally they say. I have no idea what I was doing back then. Yeah, I'm fully convinced our pants just winged it our entire childhood. Exactly. The, <laughs> amount, of, the <laughs> amount of stuff that I think back that like I would see my dad doing, and then I would think, oh man, wow, he he knows exactly what he, he had no clue what he was doing at the None time whatsoever. He was just something broke, and he was just staring at it, trying to figure out like how can I duct tape this thing together to where I can kind of make it work until an actual repairman comes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, they, people do not have it together. I'm, I'm going to get to be like 75 or 80, and I'm still not going to have any idea what's going on. No. That's the fun of life, though. If we had everything figured out, what's the point? It'd be boring as hell. Oh, my gosh. I would I would hate it. Yeah. I would, I would, there'd be no point. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the same idea. Um, if two people agree on everything, one of them is useless. Um, wow. That's and, like, I've never heard that before. Really? Actually. Never. Look, look, here on Millennial Manhood, Adam Roddy is teaching Yavitsa something he did not know. Now, that's a quote that stuck with me for a while. It's uh, I forget who told it to me. Wow. But it's a whole like negotiation thing. It's like, yeah, two people in a room, they're agreeing on every single thing. One of them is completely useless. Wow. Okay, then. Um, and, and that's kind of a, one of the thought processes we have here. Like you said, you bring people on all the time that you don't agree with everything they say. And if you did agree with everything they said, that'd be a boring podcast. Very. Well, and I try not to talk much during the podcast. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but I, I do control the conversation. Yeah. So there is a lot of preparation that goes into it. And I do guide it down the, it's a river and I'm trying to figure out where I want mm-hmm. it to flow to for. So it's almost like you're a director of a movie. It's really cool. But I try to talk as little as possible. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll, I'll enter into the conversation and give some thoughts and things, but typically I want them to, I want them yeah. to tell their story. And I think that's part of the way the, the podcast operates. I mean, there's podcasts out there that are three hours long. And in those ones, yeah, it's more of a, you talk for a little bit, I'll talk for a little bit. You talk, but I think in ours, you know, we're bringing people on and you're bringing people on so that we, the listeners can hear their story. Yeah. Um, not hear Yavitzer for 40 minutes and then for 10. Except for, I guess, this podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a funny podcast to bring it up on. It's, it's all about you talking. Yeah. So, uh, um, <laughs> really, really nailing those critical themes here from Millennial Manhood today. Yeah. Um, to, I guess, to move it back to your personal life a little bit. Okay. Um, we, we've talked, we, we just talked about not having it all together, which yeah. we obviously don't. What are your own personal struggles? Whether it's professionally, it could be with the podcast, it could be personally, whatever you think. I mean, obviously, not everything is, is you know, 100% perfect right now. I thought it would be just cool for the listeners to know, here, here are some of your own challenges you've mm, had. Yeah. Consistency and work mm-hmm. uh, from a professional standpoint. I'm, I believe and I know I'm really good at what I do. Uh, and I, there's no financial advisor on God's green earth who cares about his clients more than I do, period. Yeah. Okay. That's a belief system that I have. And if I ever came across a financial advisor who didn't believe that, I would question their profession. Yeah. Uh, but I've struggled with consistency. So that's something, uh, whether it's a belief system, I don't know. I've, I've, got, I've hired coaches and uh, we're trying to figure it out. And it's gotten better. Well, what do you mean by consistency? Uh, just consistency and vision and execution. Um, a lot of squirrel moments. But a squirrel, squirrel. Oh, oh this, yeah, get distracted know. by something. You yeah. instead of every day doing yeah doing what you need to do to accomplish that that plan that goal. Yeah, and part of it is you know needing better in, more infrastructure, not better more infrastructure. I need to hire another person. I need to you know to yeah. offload and delegate things. So I that's mean, you're never going to walk in though hundred percent every single day doing exactly what you need. Not that that's an excuse, and you should be like, oh, I'm never going to do everything I need, so I'll take the day off. But yeah, um, so that's uh, on a. Um, 
like from a professional standpoint, I struggle with that a lot. On a personal level, I struggle with eating healthy and working out consistently. Yeah. Um, I go through phases. I go through phases I'm where, same way. yeah, I go through phases where I'm eating very diligently and I'm, you know, a member of Iron Tribe or something, paying two fifty a month or whatever it is, and working out every day, doing yeah. that CrossFit thing, and looking great and feeling great, and then I go into a phase and I don't know if it's because of work or because of traffic pisses me off or whatever it is. And I just, I, I, I lose on that. And that's something I've been self-conscious about for a long time is, yeah. for example, you know, my weight or my, uh, my eating habits or just my health from that standpoint. Yeah. So, uh, that's a big, big challenge in my life because not that it's not important. It's incredibly important, but I just need to figure out a way to make it a primary focus yeah. day in and day out. Well, I mean, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I experienced the same thing right now. You know, it's, it's every other day. I'll think I should be in the gym yeah. right now. Yep. And it's, it's, it's one part trying to find that motivation to, and I think the biggest thing is trying to make it a priority in your day saying, no, this is going to be something I schedule other things around. Yep. And I used to do that. Like you said, cyclical, I mean, a year, year and a half ago, it was, I would schedule people be like, Hey, let's go do this. I'm like, okay, I can, but I'm gonna have to do it after I work out. Yep. And it's just, it's, it's tough. It really is. Well, and, and just self doubt in general is, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I'm overly critical of myself. I wouldn't go that far, but I do analyze my circumstances and myself and my work environment and my relationships a lot. Yeah. And, um, why do you think you do that? I don't know. Uh, probably part of it growing up as a refugee, growing up as a foreigner, you're always different. You, I mean, literally my entire childhood, I was told how much I suck at life because I'm not German. Literally, I would get, you know, the teacher wouldn't want to teach me appropriately how to do grammar and then I'd get a D and she would tell me that's good for a foreigner. So there, I'm sure there are some insecurities there somewhere deep down if we dug deep enough um, that would, you know, elaborate on that. But I don't, I, I don't consider myself an insecure person and at least not at this stage of my life. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I analyze my relationships a lot. I do pour into my re- relationships a lot. At least I would think so. And I would say a lot of my friends would agree that. Oh, yeah. I I, uh, I mean, you've said my secret superpower is maintain relationships. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I, sa- I said this at, at your bachelor party um, is I said if, if a relationship between you and your office of church fails, it's almost inevitably on you. Because he will, you will invest in that relationship, that friendship, that whatever, so much to the point that if it falls to the wayside, it is because he was reaching out and you weren't responding. Yeah. So, and again, I don't want, like, that sounds like I'm tooting my own horn, but that that is something I'm good at. You know your strengths. Yeah. And it's paid off in your practice. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I I just, I've always been an introspective person. I've been always very introspective. I've, I've always known I'm kind of different and weird from just being told I'm different and weird because I wasn't from where other people were from. And that again, having to, you know, grow up sooner and also knowing three languages. I mean, when you know multiple languages, you think differently. So one of the things that, that frustrates me is like, for example, in the media, like if I read a a news article about something, I'll read it in English and then I'll go read one in German on the same exact topic. And then I'll go read one in Serbian on the same exact topic. And I'm getting told three different stories. Okay. One of you is lying or all of you are lying. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So just having the ability to do that forces you to, uh, really, um, you know, hone that critical thinking muscle. Yeah. Um, so I think that that drives a lot of it, but, 
Well, if it makes you feel any better, the Germans were always the bad guys in our movies growing up. So, yeah. <laughs> I love the Germans. I, no, don't get me wrong. I'm still in touch with a lot there's of people. There's any Germans listening to this. That's not you. That's the other ones. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't harbor any resentment. I mean, Indiana Jones fought them many times. He did the Nazis. No, it was the Nazis, not the Germans. That's yeah. we will Sorry. not make that comparison. Yeah, <laughs> that is not. They're not equivalent at yeah. all. Um, what uh, What would you say? If, if you were giving an, an elevator pitch mm-hmm. and uh, well, you've, you've already hit on this a little bit, but if you had to give a really short, like if somebody said, oh, I listened to this really great podcast today and somebody goes, oh, what was it about? Your elevator quick pitch. This is the message of millennial manhood. Mm. This is the message of millennial manhood. Whew, that's actually a really good question. Uh, and I'm trying to think, I know I've thought through this, but I don't know if I've ever actually articulated it um, vocally. Hmm. I would say it is the it is a podcast about helping young men find their guidepost. Okay, I like that. Yeah, because everybody's guidepost, everybody's compass is going to be different. Yeah, but hopefully through these conversations, we can help you find that guidepost. And Yavis Jerkovich is the man to get you there. <laughs> Along with Adam Roddy. <laughs> Again, I don't want the pod. Like, I don't. Millennial Manhood should not be about me. That's not the Just goal. this episode. Yeah, just this episode. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I'm a hustler. Like, that's what I've done my entire life is I figured out how to do crap and and just did it. I mean, one of the greatest, I will always remember this as long as I live, the greatest compliment you've ever given me. And I've held on to this for years. We were having sushi at freaking, um, what's it called? What was the place in Knoxville we would go to on Kingston Pike? Oh, uh, Surin. Surin, yeah. Surin. <laughs> it was a Thai place that we yeah. got sushi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went and got sushi. And I remember you told me, you said, Yavitsa, if there's one thing I know about you, if you've lost, if you lost outside of family, if you lost everything today, you would go get, get it back tomorrow. Yeah. Because you're a hustler. And I was like, yeah, I <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you. This is, this is the man whose apartment that he was running got robbed. And I talked to him on the phone that day and be like, dude, I am so sorry. That's like, that's going to be like awful. And he goes, ah, that's why you have renter's insurance. And I, <laughs> <laughs> my, if my jaw could hit the floor, I was like, you should be mad right now. You should be very upset. You should probably be dropping some curse words on me right now. But, but he was, he was fine. He was cool as a cucumber. He was literally, ah, that's why you have renter's insurance. And I was like, that's, that's his, that's your mentality though, is that if, if bad things happen, you, you know, you pick yourself up by your bootstraps and, and keep on going. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, I just, I just think if we all spend a little less time complaining, not that I don't complain, but if we all spend a little less time complaining and just, you know, whenever you're about to complain, just, just go find, I don't know, somewhere to volunteer your time or something. Yeah. Just go help somebody. Just if we all just went out of our way to just help people, gosh, this place would be incredible. Yeah. This world would be a wonderful, wonderful place to live. I think it's a, I think it's a combination of that. And I think it's a combination of realizing not everyone's life is exactly how they're portraying it on Instagram. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we, we've kind of hinted around that topic. I think a few different episodes on here. And I, I just think it's a big part of our generations. I think it's why rates of depression and suicide and things are highest because people are going through really tough times. Life is hard. And then they think everyone else is living, you know, hashtag their best life. And yeah. all that crap. And, you know, I think, I think that's kind of the, the dual, dual threat. I think people, if people could help other people and see what they're going through and realize that, you know, somebody else 
just because they took a picture of their latte at Starbucks this morning does not mean they're the happiest individual on the planet. Yeah. Well, if you actually, if you let me piggyback on a question, you asked me a couple questions ago, what would I tell those guys who are lost? I would tell them to go volunteer actually. Yeah. It doesn't matter who go for, go to the Catholic charities website, go to, uh, the Mormons have, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, get involved. I think, I don't know. Just Google it. Go to a food bank. Yeah. Go to a food bank, go to, you know, your local church, go to, I mean, there's all kinds of resources out there and you don't have to be part of those organizations. Okay. Right. I'm not Catholic, but I volunteer at Catholic charities. Yeah. Like I'm, uh, there's, there's all kinds of things out there that you can do where you can help people. And I think when you help people, it'll always help you more than you're helping them. Yeah. I, just, there's something so powerful about it. I have heard that before too. I've heard that the one who's really getting the most out of it is the person doing it. Yeah. Um, and it could be for a variety of reasons. It could just be, maybe you're depressed and you just need a reason to get out of your apartment today. Um, or maybe seeing other people in their situations helps you, or maybe you meet somebody at one of those things. It becomes your best friend, your spouse, your, your mentor, your, who knows what? Uh, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I've, I've never felt better probably than when I walked away after volunteering for a few hours or, or doing something. And that's something I actually need to get back on now that I've moved up to Nashville. Yeah. Um, and I need to need to, really find something. I was talking with somebody the other day about that. Yep. Well, other than that, I mean, the, the classic question we like to end the podcast with, um, if you go back in time and, and tell little, little Yavi underneath the, the tractor when the mortar shell is landing in his front yard, um, give him some advice or, or, or Yavitsa when his German teachers were telling him, Oh, that's good for an immigrant. That's yeah. good for a refugee, I guess. Yeah. Or, in Memphis, when you're surrounded by a lot of bad influences, if, if you could tell yourself at any one of those points in your life or in general, something, anything, what would you say? I'd say it's okay to be different. I, uh, I always had a lot of insecurity growing up about, you know, I watched this interview with Barack Obama a couple of years ago. And he said, when he first asked Michelle out on a date, he was, he didn't think she was going to say yes, because his name was Barack Obama, not Barack Smith or James Obama. No, it was Barack Obama. And I, I know exactly what he's talking about. Like Yovitsa, yeah. There's no way somebody can spell it and they're probably not gonna be able to pronounce it for the first 10 times. Yeah. So, but it's like the most generic Serbian name ever. It's Johnny George son. Okay. That's literally what it translates <laughs> to. My parents made fun of people who gave their kids creative names until we came to America. And they were like, tough luck kid. You'll figure it out. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> uh, But I was so insecure growing up. Um, and the idea of being different. And now I don't want to be normal because I don't know. Every successful person I know is different. Every successful person I know thinks differently, approaches life differently. They're kind of weird. Okay. Because normal, um, almost means stagnant at this point in my life. And, and I appreciate the things that make me different now. And I appreciate the things that make other people different because that means they're interesting. And that's, that's really exciting. And I know for a fact that that mindset hindered me and my development for a long period of time until I finally um, just got comfortable in my own shoes. And look, your name doesn't have to be Yavitz or whatever. You might be different in some other capacity. I don't know. Maybe you grew up on the West coast and at 17, you, your dad got transferred to another job and you end up in Southern middle Tennessee. (laughs) like there's so many different things that can that can um and you just want to fit in so badly and i would encourage young yavitz 
dude, don't worry about fitting in so much. Worry about finding your identity and worry about getting, figuring out what you're good at and really driving that home and having a big vision for you and your life and the people around you. One thing I always want to do is help the people around me have a bigger vision because if they get a bigger vision, then they'll help me get an even bigger vision. And it's a compounding effect. A rising tide lifts all boats. Okay. You can't be grateful and jealous at the same time. It's impossible. Okay. So whenever you find yourself in, in a sense of jealousy or anger, find something to be grateful for and it'll go away immediately and it'll help everybody around you. Man. Well, with that being said, I mean, I'd like to give you one more shot at addressing the general awards question. Um, <laughs> the, the people want to know, and this is on the record. This is a chance to, to set the record straight. My wife's going to hear this and be like, what in the crap is he asking about? <laughs> um, also, for the record, we are upstairs in my parents' bonus room right now uh, on Labor Day weekend <laughs> recording in not the, not the greatest of uh, studios. Nope. It's uh, it's basically a storage room. So yeah. I hope I hope you guys can appreciate the amount of effort we put into this on uh, at 11 o'clock at night. <laughs> and I randomly said, hey, Adam, you want to go report, record an episode? And he's like, yeah, sure. So what are we going to talk about? I don't know. Let's do something. As we sit on the floor as well. <laughs> yeah. In the floor in a bonus room looking at old family photos of me. Yeah. Um, so this was a very, uh, very off the cuff episode yeah. i don't know we might put it out this week we might wait a little bit i don't know it depends we've got some really good episodes i'm really excited about the folks we got lined up yeah so, from from what you've told me this is going to be really really exciting but well and thank you for all the work you've put into the podcast hey man, my my work has been c- consisted of you saying hey you should think about interviewing this person and i say okay i'll do it and then scheduling some time although i will say there are a couple people that i'm trying in the works now to get scheduled in lineup so i'm putting a little more work into the podcast just for you and for the listeners um but more than anything because i care and i, I really believe in in the, the mission uh, of this podcast and and the message of helping men in our generation find that find that goal post um, i love it um other than that though uh thank you all so much for for listening and for your support of the podcast um it really does mean a lot it's the reason why we do this every time Yavitsa gets an email or somebody tells me or we post about it on LinkedIn and somebody comments and says, great episode. Absolutely yeah. loved it. It means more than you guys could ever know. And it really, it, I know with Yavitsa and I know with me, it really gives us the drive to, to continue doing this and growing. And um, it's been a lot of fun too, I would say. Um, but other than that, thank you all so much for listening. We, we really do appreciate this. Feel free to give any feedback to millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Uh, it's millennialmanhoodcip at gmail.com. Uh, all that traditional cliche stuff, uh, give us a like, give us a rating, five stars on whatever podcast medium that you choose to listen to. Which um, 90% of it is iTunes, fun fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's mostly iTunes. <laughs> iTunes, Spotify, and Overcast. Oh, and if you need, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. If you, if you, if, there, if there's a podcast medium that we're not on, which I think we're on 12, uh, that you want us to be on because you use it, seriously send us an email we'll we'll get on it i just i think i'm literally on everything at this point and maybe that's how you're weird like we talked about earlier maybe you're weird because you're the one person (laughs) we get per episode who listens on that one medium that we look at and we say what (laughs) who is on that one yeah Uh, maybe that's you and maybe that's something you should be proud of uh but regardless thank you all so much uh really exciting things coming forward we got some great guests in the lineup um, and, and thank you so much. Just, just remember, you know, find that goalpost, find what's going to motivate you in life and, uh, realize that we're all going through the same stuff and millennial manhood. We're here, to, we're here to help. 